Hello, this is John Curry. Welcome to the latest episode of the Secure Retirement Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting with Mr. Ron Insana. Ron is Senior Analyst and Commentator for CNBC. Hello, Ron. Hey, John. How are you? Good. Good to see you. You too. Thank you. We've had two great days here at a conference dealing with retirement planning. In fact, it's called the Retirement Income Summit. So, Ron, tell me a little bit about your background so our listeners can know who you are, your background. And then, folks, you're going to hear some background noise because literally I grabbed Ron and he's sitting with me in a (laughs) A hallway. Hotel hallway. And doing this presentation. So, Ron, tell us who you are and why you do what you do. Well, it's an interesting question with respect to the why. The why was originally accidental. I got a job at Financial News Network back in the early days of business television. Good old uh, FNN. FNN, and decided to stay for the next 34 years. So between Financial News Network and CNBC, I've been a financial journalist for more than three decades. And the conversations that I heard around me at FNN in the mid-1980s really sparked my interest and, and, and my desire to figure out a way to explain the language of Wall Street in the language of Main Street so that we could really make financial market and economic events meaningful to people at home for the first time on television. And that's something now that's been, been going on for, for several decades in a row. That has to be fascinating because really you were a pioneer in that because that wasn't being done at the time. No, FNN started in 1981. I joined in, in 1984. So Bill Griffith, Sue Herrera, and myself were among some of the earliest players in that space. And uh, we were, to be honest, at, at the time, making it up as we went along. Not necessarily the content, but certainly the the, way, the approach that we took. Uh, we ad-libbed a lot of it. It was an under-resourced facility way back when. Uh, but part of that process was it, was it was really sink or swim. So you either learned the content and then went on the air and delivered the news, or you didn't make it. And so learning the content was, was the most challenging part of it, having not studied any of this in college. I was a film major in, in, <laughs> in college, and I ended up being a business news journalist. So um, that's one interesting thing, too, about uh, jobs and opportunity that I try to impress upon my kids is that you don't know where you're going to end up and so that you should embrace every opportunity that comes your way because it could take you places you never thought you'd go and you might end up actually in a destination that was better than the one you intended. And just be curious about people and other things. That's what I love about my work, 43 years now building a clientele. I have clients from all walks of life. I learn something new every day. Absolutely. Every day, and it's fun. And that's, you know, one of the interesting things about the news business, and it's even on, on an accelerated basis today given the way in which media and politics have changed and economics it there there is no deadline anymore there is no day there is all day right. and there is all news all the time and, and so everything's a deadline everything's a deadline every minute is a deadline <laughs> a potential deadline and so you really have to learn not only how to maintain that curiosity but maintain the pace and then also take all that information that's coming so fast these days, put it into perspective, and determine what's noise and what's news and what's really important to people, particularly in our field where we're talking about people making decisions about how to allocate their money, whether it's for pure savings, whether it's for education, whether it's for health care. Um, sometimes they really do have to listen and they can't really avoid the news and they may have to make changes as a consequence. And quickly. And quickly. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, usually you have enough lead time. I think the markets send you enough signals, and that's a a pure belief of mine that the markets are are message-sending mechanisms. And sometimes they give you enough of a heads-up that you don't have to be the last one out the door if something big is coming. I think that's so important because people listening to this are probably asking, okay, how do I go about building an investment portfolio? And to make it clear, you don't sell investments. Correct. No. no. You're you're not in the business of selling. I may someday again, but right now I don't, yeah. So if you would, take a moment and give our listeners your perspective on what to do with all the talking heads telling you do this, do this, do that. 
just give some of your thoughts on what people should do when they're investing for the future. Well, I think, you know, there are some people who are quite capable of, of, of doing it on their own because they've had some lifelong experience with it or they come from a family that's very familiar with the investing process. And that, that's one way, if you're lucky enough, you, know, you can go about it. To me, the thing that makes the most sense is having a trusted advisor who, ha- who is seasoned, who has experience, who can first and most importantly develop a plan. Everything that I've seen over the course of my career is that people with a plan tend to outperform people without a plan. People who adhere to their plan with a great deal of discipline and patience, again, tend to outperform people who listen to just, again, sometimes noise and, and, and make moves that are inappropriate for the longer term goals. So I think that planning process is extraordinarily important and it encompasses everything from, from 401ks to IRAs to Roth IRAs to insurance products to everything else that you need to fully round out an investment profile that meets all your needs, whether it's short-term cash, whether it's education for your kids, whether it's retirement, whether it's the end of life, all of those plans. If people are truly thinking about these things, they should take a, a holistic approach and make sure they're hitting all those marks so that they don't fall sh- short of their goals when, when the time comes. I tell people that if you have a plan, a written plan of action, you're more likely to stick to that and you're not going to be swayed so much by the news media or your friend on the golf course saying, hey, yeah. you know, I'm worried Bitcoin. about the market. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Or worried about the political uh, arena. Right. Because the truth of the matter is, I love how you talk about Wall Street and Main Street. The truth is people on Main Street do not have access to the information that's available on Wall Street. And by the time you took action, it's already been done. Yeah, although there's, it, that, that space has shrunk a little bit over time as information has been a little bit more democratized. But no if you're, doubt, no doubt. But, I mean, you're not going to beat algorithms. You're not going to be professional money managers who, who are advantaged in ways that are appropriate for their business. I mean, their, their job is to sit there all day, interact with companies, interact with strategists and others to determine, you know, what's coming next and, and try to know a little bit ahead of time. And I don't mean that in the nefarious sense that some people use it, but their, their job is to be ahead of the curve. And most people who are working all day and raising kids and, and you know, doing other things at times, coaching in the afternoon or what have you, you just don't have the time to dedicate to that process where you know everything you need to know all the time. That's what professionals do for a living. And having done it myself on the news side, I realize that there is still a gap between most, what most people know and what I hear. And that's true for investment professionals as well. I hear from clients, hey, I don't want to know that stuff. I might have the time to do it. I don't want to take the time to do yeah. it because I want to go on with my life. You help me find the right answers. Yeah, and your, your written plan comment is interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm a uh, completely uh, uptight list maker. That, that's how I live my life. And part of that is a function of my job is I, I started taking notes more so than I ever did in high school or college about the news. And I, and I used to go through pads and pads of paper every single day. We would take notes on everything that occurred. And I got into this process of not just taking notes, but then also making life lists still handwritten. Right. It's a little bit archaic. I occasionally use my notes page on my, my cell phone. But um, I make lists and check things off. And I, and I think that's made me more efficient in my work and, and even in my personal life because I do feel accomplished when I'm ticking those things off. And I do know that they're getting done. And, and I think that's the same with a financial plan. Is that the more that you can tick those things off and meet your goals, the more comfortable, the more relaxed your life is going to be. Amen. Uh, my team gave me a hard time because you see I have a journal. In front I do. Of I see that, yeah. I make notes all the time. 
And they'll laugh at me and they'll say, why don't you just put it in the computer? And I said, because I can't get my hands on it. I can't see it that Well, way. I'll tell you, there's some interesting studies coming out about kids who are taking notes with their computers in school versus kids who take handwritten notes. Retention levels are higher with handwritten note takers. And there's some new studies coming out about that. That you know, I, I have this conversation with my kids. One of my kids actually had right-left confusion when he was young, so his handwriting is horrible, so he really requires a computer to take notes. Right. But absent that... Literally writing things down is great for hardwiring your brain. Yes, yeah. I agree totally. I, I take a lot of notes at conferences like this conference. I've got a book half full already, and then I'll have my thoughts also. In the few minutes we have remaining, because we've got to get back to a tight schedule here. but <laughs> I think we're good, yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit about um, what you see as being the future from the standpoint of all the political unrest that's going on the lack of civility, if you will, across the, the different industries and the political world especially. Give us your take on that. Well, it's, it, it does seem to be a unique time. I hate to use the word unprecedented because you can go back into early American history and find things that are less civil than this um, yes. in terms of the political discourse. They shot each other back then. They shot, yes. Aaron Burr was around, you know, and Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hamilton was cut short at what, 37 years old as a consequence. Um, and even t- John Adams and Thomas Jefferson had some wild political uh, arguments uh, amongst their campaign teams that eh, are probably more like today than, than we want to recognize. Uh, but I think, look, at, at, at civility coming back to the political discourse, I think is either going to take a statesman or a stateswoman who redefines the process back towards what we're accustomed to, or we might just spin off the rails into, into having these, you know, kind of these, these uh, food fights on a regular basis in politics. Now, having said that, you know, the U.S. economy is in fine shape. The tax reform bill is helping some folks. Deregulation is helping some industries. So absent a political or geopolitical upset, the economy still looks good. I think we are getting to a point in the cycle where we're at peak growth, where the Federal Reserve may very well accelerate its interest rate increases. And we might have something of a downturn later this year, early 2019, that'll feel challenging. And so I think those are the things that people need to pay attention to. Mostly, really, in a lot of ways, you know, absent some geopolitical catastrophe, the Federal Reserve is the thing to watch. If rates start going up more quickly than people anticipate, even though earnings are good, even though growth is relatively good, we know that rising interest rates generally interfere with stock market performance. So there are times that you have to make some allocation decisions based on what the Fed's doing, and I think that might be central to the conversation we're going to have later in the year. So what advice would you offer people listening to this that hear you say these things? Is it still develop your plan to stay the course? Well, absolutely. And and there are are times, and there will be a time again, where you, and in fact it might even be now, that if you have enormous winners in the stock market that have run up, you know, well more than 300%, the indexes alone have done that since the bottom in 2009, that you recalibrate your, your portfolio, you, you rebalance, you bring the allocation back into what is your planned targets for stocks, for bonds, for other you know, alternatives that you may have, and make sure that those remain in balance and they don't get too far out of whack with respect to the program that you've put in place. And so we've had a huge run-up in the market. We've had a little correction, 10% peak to trough, which is normal. And in fact, well overdue in a certain sense. And if you have stocks that have gone absolutely ballistic or hyperbolic or however you want to describe it, again, it's a good time to pair those back and find some other opportunities in the financial markets that are under-owned, under-loved, and under-explored. And your advisor oftentimes can help you do things like that. That's difficult for most people to do because they see it going up. I don't want to get out of it. It's going great. 
and then they wait too long. All of a sudden, the market comes down. Now they're they're hurting. Well, you don't have to sell it, right? You never have to sell everything. You you take some True. chips off the table. You take some profits. You redeploy the profits into assets that might be underperforming for a period of time. You might want to put a little more ballast in the portfolio by buying bonds or munis or something along those lines upping your contributions to a whole life insurance policy. However, you know, you can meet your goals. You never want to let your portfolio get too far out of balance where you're riding on just the back of a couple of uh, assets, a couple of stocks even. And then all of a sudden, if they do, in fact, run into trouble, you're going to have to make up that ground later on. So sticking to a balance plan, uh, however that balance is defined by you and your advisor, is most often the best way to go. And I think it's key not to have all of your money in the market anyway. No, I mean, you have to have a little cash, a little dry powder. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, look, that's part of that plan, which is, you know, how much emergency cash do you need? How much is dedicated to tax-deferred savings? How much is dedicated towards uh, even some speculative uh, investments you'd like to make? Do you have what we like to call Vegas money on hand so that if you see something that's interesting that you want to trade, you can feel comfortable doing that without worrying about the overall plan that you've already put in place. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about this conference we're attending. Yeah. Uh, We've had the pleasure yesterday of going over to Yale University and hearing some professors in the uh, finance and marketing department. Yeah, I'm surprised the Divinity School didn't burst into flames when I walked in, but that's that's another story (laughs) for another day. (laughs) Yeah, it really was. uh, Why are you here? Tell us why you have such an interest in doing what you've done. You've served as our MC this week for... Uh, Clark Avenue Securities uh, Conference on uh, Retirement uh, Masters. Why are you here? Why, why do you have such a passion for this? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting format for me because having become a contributor to CNBC, and I did go off and, and manage some money for a period of time after my full-time work at CNBC, and I went through that process during the crisis, so it wasn't quite as um, fruitful as I had anticipated, so I, I came back, got back into the media business, and then expanded my public speaking business, which in a lot of ways is as fulfilling as my television job used to be. I get direct feedback from the audience. We do deeper dives without any commercial interruptions when we do interviews, when we do conversations. When I give a speech and then do Q&A with the audience, it's actually informative for me because I get to hear what people on the ground are thinking about, whether they're financial advisors, uh, whether they're in the insurance business, whether they're clients, and we're doing client events in some cases, I get to go all around the country and hear what people have on their minds. And that's both in terms of what's happening in the economy and the markets, but it's also in terms of what what they're thinking about politically and how they view the news media more broadly, which is always a challenging question I have to face when I'm in front of an audience. And so given the rapid changes in all those areas, it's great for me to hear the audience and and hear their concerns or hear what they have going on in their businesses. If their businesses are running hot, how are they feeling about the economy? If they're running really hot, are they telegraphing that to me in a way so that I can use that as an economic indicator? It's really a boots-on-the-ground experience for me that helps me inform some of the things that I still do for CNBC and MSNBC as well. Well, I've been fascinated watching you this week. You take the time to talk with people. Uh, you're a celebrity, but you are down-to-earth. You talk with people. You're getting to know people. You're, you're truly... A people person. You enjoy getting to know people. Absolutely. I mean, and, and for, for a wide variety of reasons. One, I've, I've kind of always been this way and, and, and uh, have never really shied away from conversations. I kind of like to hear what people are thinking. And, and, and it's funny. I used to watch President Clinton when, when he was in office and I'd interviewed him on numerous occasions. He had this, in, in, additional, in addition to his insatiable curiosity about facts and figures and content, he also had an insatiable desire to talk to people. Right. And I always noticed that he drew energy from that. <clears throat> and that's not something that I necessarily added after I'd, I'd met him, but I always find that it's it's informative to me. I make new friends, and, and quite frankly, and somewhat selfishly, sometimes you find new business opportunities in these conversations sure. as well. So um, 
you know, I think shying away from the audience is, is actually um, leaves you in a position where you get less out of the experience than you would otherwise. Absolutely. And so some people like to hit and run. And it's just never been my style. Same here. Keep yeah. on contributing, helping people, let them grow. Uh, as we wrap up, any, anything you want to end with that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think, you know, I, look, I, I think the, the more informed they can become and, and the more aware they are of their, their circumstances around them, both locally, literally locally within their own companies or chosen professions, but then also more broadly with respect to the news and respect to what's going on with domestic and global events. And the less risk there is of getting blindsided, or at least the better chance you'll have of delivering informed questions to the people that you work with, your advisors, so that you feel comfortable that when you get a question answered, it's adequate to, to the situation. And so I think, you know, as much as people say information has been democratized, it's true up to a point. There's a lot of information, but there's not a lot of wisdom. So I think people have to pay enough attention so they know which questions to ask and also know that they're comfortable that they got their questions answered correctly. Very good. Before we go, tell yeah. people how they can tune in to catch your shows. Well, see, I'm on uh, CNBC usually Thursday or Friday on Power Lunch, which is 1 to 3 Eastern time. MSNBC is fairly random based on the news. They'll call me whenever they want me in. Right. Very often times I'll appear on Stephanie Rule's show, which is at 9 a.m. Eastern time. And then we're coming out with a newsletter some colleagues of mine and I starting May 1st called the FAQ or Financial Advisor Quotient. That's going to be FAQ or FAQuotient.com. That should be out uh, May 1st, I believe. Very good. Right. Ron Insano, thank you so much John. for taking the time. Thank you for having me. It's been a me. pleasure. Appreciate it. If you would like to know more about John Curry Services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. John H. Curry, Chartered Life Underwriter, Chartered Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Master's in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities, products, and services and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this material, we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances, not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System. The Living Balance Sheet and the Living Balance Sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Copyright 2005 through 2018. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities or Guardian and opinions stated are their own.